The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My name is Viet, and um, I'm the CEO, executive chef of Key Concepts. We um, had our first concept in 2014, but we uh, decided to call it Key Concepts and uh, uh, manage multiple brands uh, starting in 2018. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. I spent my childhood in Vietnam. Uh, I grew up in Saigon. Uh, my, my dad is actually from the north. My mom is from the south. Uh, right after the war, they met and they got married. And um, I was born in, um, in Saigon in uh, 86, 1986. Um, I was there for 16 years. I came here when I was 16 in 2002. Oh, you were fully formed when you got here in 2002. Fully formed, yeah. I was, you know, like my my palate, my thinking, my understanding of the whole entire world is actually being shaped in Vietnam. But you speak English like you grew up and were born here, and you, from the way you run your operations, it feels like you've been here your entire life. Uh, and that's not to discount anything about growing up in Vietnam, other than the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, you have a very uh, 30,000 foot view of the food space. Well, thanks for that. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I really strongly believe in order for me to represent Vietnamese people in America, I needed to act differently. Um, different, not in a sense where, you know, just different for the sake of being um, different but being different in a sense where what is what is the value that Vietnamese people can contribute to this country and so being a Vietnamese person I have to really dig back into my root but then also you know learning and borrowing and adapting to the American way of things and kind of marry the two and hopefully that I can introduce Vietnamese culture and people um in a different lens, right? So a lot of people would go to Little Saigon and they would remember the, the mom and pop shops and, you know, not to discount that they're, they're, they're not great. I mean, they're two of my favorite restaurants, but this is gonna be for the next generations. Um, I feel like I was sliding right between the first generation, and the second generation, how to connect them and also introduce them to, um, you know, the whole entire part of the culture in Vietnam that uh, they might have been missing. Um, the American way is the only way for me to do it. So that's why it's forced me to, to do it this way. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? Well, it means a lot. Um, I completely, to be completely honest, I feel like Vietnamese uh, um, is just a world citizen. Uh, we're all over the place, right? We're, we're born in Vietnam, but like we are here now, um, you know, our you know, right after the war, everyone is really um, being displaced um, from all over the world. Every time that I go back to Vietnam now, you know, seeing all of the Vietnamese people that are coming from all over the world coming back home, I just feel like we're just a world citizen um, class. And so we're, I'm, I'm very uh, happy with, you know, like being Vietnamese, especially representing in, in, in the US. I, I don't know how your mom and dad raised you in terms of uh the gender expectation of a man in the kitchen was that a problem that you faced growing up with your mom and dad or people around you family around you um yes and no uh my my both my mom and dad are very different i think that's um actually very helpful for me um my mom is um caring she's actually not well educated at all she actually dropped out of school very early on um so she does things very intuitive Mm. she she doesn't think think logically um but the way that she thinks and approach everything is very emotionally um and i learned that from her um and i i think 
that's not a bad thing. Um, for my dad, I, I learned about logical, um, you know, you know, first principles, reasonings, and um, doing things the right ways, and um, marrying the two kind of really helped shape who I am today. Um, understanding that, you know, everything that I do, I have to think of both, not just the logical thing, but also the emotional uh, value of everything. Um, that kind of helps me kind of navigate complex situations, I believe. And did they ever give you a tough time for wanting to be in the kitchen? Yes, they do um, in the very beginning. But, um, you know, I, I convinced them um, that, you know, it's the form of art. And as long as it's art, I told them, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm going to be a singer or a chef or, you know, even, uh, you know, just a painter. Um, I think there's, there's um, always the bright side and the downside to everything. Yeah. And I feel like as long as you're being the best of what you do, doesn't matter which kind of profession, I think you can monetize that. Damn, but I'm, I'm, I'm so surprised that you use the art argument instead of the money argument, right? Like, hey, mom and dad, yeah. like it's art, so I can do it. But if I was like thinking in a, in a, in a young person's shoe like you, I'd be like, yo, well, yeah. mom and dad, I'm gonna make a lot of money. But you didn't argue I'm gonna make a lot of money. You argued that it's art. Why? Yeah. That? Yeah. Why the art argument and not the money argument? I was. I will say this. I'm. I'm luckier than most. Um, so I was born into a family that we didn't have to scrape for dollars every day. Yeah. Um, that kind of helped shape me who I can be instead of what I needed to do to survive. Oh. Um, if you're looking back at like how America was founded, too, you know, most of the founding fathers were peasants they're actually um millionaires and billionaires and they're they because they don't have to worry about their well-being for the next day what are they going to eat for the next day their perception of arts and liberty and all of that is very different right so they they think more of a bigger picture um and so i'm not saying that you know you know we're, we're super wealthy or anything like that but i, I was saying that at that time um, I didn't have to worry what I was going to eat for the night or the next day. And, you know, my friends at that time, most of them have to help their parents with, you know, running the business. And I, I took that liberty and I took that uh, opportunity immediately. And I thought I'm very blessed. Um, I need to do something with this. And so at that time I was able to look more into who I want to become rather than, you know, what I need to do to make money. And so at that time, they also asked the same questions like, oh, well, that's not even going to pay you that much. Or the restaurant is not really making a lot of money. But um, yeah, go back to the, the question of uh, the, the answer of art. You know, I, I told them I'm, I'm creating arts and not just any art, this is liberal arts. Um, so liberal arts are sociology, there's humanity. And so I'm, I'm always trying to find the humanity and things that I want to do with my life. Because I felt that's how I grew up. Uh, that's that's how I, I wake up every morning and look for that. You know, not just how much money I'm going to make today, but what's how can I contribute to humanity in general? You know, your <laughs> um, your answer is very an honest, and I really appreciate the honesty yeah. because I I've been doing this for a while um, and gone through a number of guests, and I've haven't heard that sort of honesty where you said what you said about not having to really worry about money because everybody who's come on the show up until today to you is somebody we've all had to worry about surviving. We had to ver yes. survive culturally and we had to survive uh, monetarily and we had to survive our parents pushing down on us in a career way. And you're yeah. the first person that I've met uh, in the journey of the Vietnamese podcast to, to explain I, I, I broke free. I'm escape velocity. We're, we're in space and I could steer the shuttle anywhere I want now because I'm not bounded. Now that brings me to the next part of that question is typically people who are given that amount of freedom don't have that sort of sense of direction or, or, mm. or unable to, <clears throat> to prove right. it with that sort of, um, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's, you know, it's a, a certain privilege and being able to pivot from that privilege is very, very rare. 
what do you think your mom and dad or your environment had to do with the way that you developed into this different person? Um, just to rephrase that question a little bit. So you're, you're asking from our parents, my parents' point of view. No, right? I mean, from what shaped you to not be this kid who just relied on, you know, um, the comfortability of where you come from, from your family. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm just gonna, it's gonna be, gonna be on a podcast forever. So sorry, mom and dad, but, <laughs> um, being raised in a very well-off family, um, I was never felt the security. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was the communist country, maybe because of the way that it was approaching the business. Um, I was well off and I knew that that might run out. Um, so I never count their money as my money. And um, so I felt I needed to do something different with my life. I need to create something for my own. So let's just say if anything happened, I'm, I'm safe and I still can continue to pursue my dream. And fair enough, um, the first hit was in 2008 when the first financial crisis hit. I think half of their wealth got wiped out. Um, and then um, very recently, um, essentially the other half got wiped out. And so my, my parents right now, practically at this point of this podcast, and we're still trying to figure this out, I strongly believe there's a hundred percent bankrupt. Um, and so, yeah. So knowing, knowing this growing up where nothing is given to you. And I, I asked myself this question too. Let's just say if my parents decided not to give me money, what was my next day would be. And so immediately when it came to America, the first thing I did was to fire job. Uh, I landed on August um, 2002. I remember the next day, immediately I went get a, a bicycle and just go look for a job uh, as a dishwasher uh, somewhere in, in, um, in San Fernando Valley. I was learning how to live under my knee. So for a really long time, I was either sleeping in my car, sleeping in someone's closet, or um, you know, finding a job somewhere to support myself and to learn. I at one point, I was even debating if my parents going to spend sixty to a hundred thousand dollars a year for my education. I was asking myself, was that even necessary? And so I technically told them, if you're going to be spending on my education, why don't you just give me the money so I can take that money to go invest instead? <clears throat> um, we kind of hate each other for a little bit. Um, I stopped talking to them for about a couple of years. They're very disappointed. I dropped out of school, but it still did give me the money. Um, and we took that money and I invested into um, a soup noodle bar for a few percentage and the rest is history pretty much. Um, so, but at least at this point, you know, I'm living on my own, I'm supporting my own family and, uh, you know, I'm happy to support my parents back, uh, after they're done with all the, the bankruptcy thing that they have to kind of deal with. But that's just for me. I felt that, you know, at 16, I, I didn't want to rely on them because I felt if anything happened to them, it will eventually affect my dream. And I have much bigger dream than just being uh, the next millionaire or being a business owner. You know, I'm doing this for my community. I'm, I'm being a Vietnamese person in America. I, I wanted to make a Vietnamese people proud. And so the dream is much bigger than that. And so being limited by their own wealth uh, has always been um, a bad and certain policy for me. And so that's why I just went out and do my own thing. You know, what's crazy is <clears throat> when soup, which is spelled S-U-P with the Yosak over the U. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When that came out, I remember thinking to myself, because I had about 20 friends call me up. They're like, you have to try this restaurant. Buena mm. Park, right? Buena Park, yeah, the yeah. first location. And I remember all these guys in the food business would call me up and say, you got to try this place out. And, you know, I live in L.A. and all these L.A. guys was, were going down to, to, to soup. Mm. And I remember thinking, how could a restaurant with that spelling 
makes such good pho or whatever noodles or whatever. Mm, yeah. Because, but then I thought about it when, when I remember thinking about that thought, like how could somebody who is naming it that and not pho bimichin or pho tamuisao, you know, something traditional, yeah, you know, can make something that authentic and that soulful. And now I'm beginning to see the roots uh, of, of, of the seeds of when you are starting to think about, um, you know, as you say, the rest is history, but the beginning stages is make good quality food of exactly. And but the branding is, is now going to be like an integral part of the things that you do after yeah. that. Yes. Exactly. And so this is the obsession with customer service, right? Customer satisfaction. Like I, I think, People just way overthinking business, to be completely honest with you. A lot of business just really thinking like, I have to have this beautiful thing and doing that. Like I have to do market research and all. Like I really think everyone is just way overthinking. You just need to just relax. <laughs> Customer will come if you have the best quality product for, you know, obviously I'm not trying to, you know, um, you know, undervalue our food, right? So, I mean, charge what you need to charge just to stay, to stay in business, right? But absolute customer satisfaction. And one of the rules that we have is if you're not happy with any of the meal at any of our restaurant, simply walk up to the manager and say, I did not enjoy it. I don't want to pay. And you walk out and shake your hands and we'll come back next time. It is what it is. Like, you just don't have to, don't think too much about a lot of the, the industry analysis and you know like it's it's it making no sense to be completely honest um you focus on the customer best food best best service you got a lot of these very simple ideas you you know yeah but they're very hard to do very hard to execute. Yeah. it's very hard yeah. you can say don't worry about the marketing don't worry about the 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 public just worry about yourself just get get the process down yeah. and, and get the customer, you know, satisfied. But that in itself takes, you know, a, a lifetime to learn and to perfect. You did it at yeah. a very young age. Where did you learn this sort of like simplification, this reduction of, um, of thinking? It's a very good question again. Um, so this is going to be another honest uh, answer. Uh, a lot of people ask me, the same question, but, you know, obviously this is going to be the first time that I'm saying it with the way that I'm going to say it now is you just going to have to keep failing because before soup, I actually closed down another seven businesses that people didn't know about. Oh, wow. So I keep doing things and I make the wrong decisions all the time. And so in the very first businesses, I wanted to do like crazy CCTV. I wanted to do advertising. I wanted to do marketing. And beautiful packaging and all of it go to, to waste. And so the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, you know what? People really don't need to be butter up that much. They just want you to treat them well when they're at your door. And so by, you know, closing so many businesses before, I mean, I lost so much money uh, to a point I have to sell my car and my business. Uh, I have to borrow a loan from my parents and couldn't pay them back until soup noodle bar um, was just to keep trying if you failing and you learn from it. And so I kept trying and I, I keep failing uh, up until soup. So when I do soup, I try to think as simple as I could. And that worked out for me. And that worked out for Vox. That worked out for Gem. That worked out for Nick. That worked out for all the brands that we have right now. The more complicated I think, the less success I achieve. And if I think very simple, to give you an example of Nape Cafe, at that time, Gem was got shut down because of the pandemic multiple times. Obviously we couldn't make it. So at that time I was really like, oh, I'm gonna do advertising for Gem. I was gonna do this, I was gonna do that. But at the end of the day, when I really rethink it, I'm like, you know what? I think I overthinking again. Let's ask what people need. And so, Everyone come up to me and like, oh my God, I miss Vietnam so much. I can't even go back because the country is closed, right? Everything is closed. Uh, trying to get a cup of coffee and I can't even do it. Um, you know, no good coffee here. So at that time I was thinking very simple, 
the government shut us down inside, but you have the patio. So if people, that's what they want, then just give it to them. If they can't go back to Vietnam, bring Vietnam to them. And so I just opened a coffee shop, open out, and then we didn't have enough money. So I just go out to Ikea and online, buy some of the small store and just lay out all over the street. And people would just sit around and drink coffee. And we went from doing, you know, um, <laughs> you know, maybe $30,000 a month to over $600,000 a month. 20X? Something like that <laughs> for an air cafe. But the, the, go back to the, the simplicity of thinking. Yeah. You, you can't overthink it. The more you overthink it, the more the customer, when they come in, they feel like you're faking it. Like, this is not real. You're just laying it out there. But when people come to Nef Cafe the first few days and ask, oh, why do you have all these things outside, you know, and not inside? Well, we got shut down. Uh, why do you have, like, these, you know, cheap tables? And, well, because we have no money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, you know, why do you serve coffee? I'm like, well, that's the easiest thing that I know how to do. I mean, I, I didn't know how to do anything else. Simple. And then they're like, simple, just keep thinking simple. And then I asked them, you know, what can we improve? And so if you ask me what our competitors out there right now, I probably won't be able to answer you because we never really do market research. The only research that we do is what did we mess up yesterday and how do we improve ourselves to beat ourselves yesterday? And that's it. If you tell me there's another restaurant doing something just like amazing, like I'm sure they do and it's good for them. And then I'll go there and I'll study how they do it and I'll learn from them. But that's pretty much it. I'm gonna try, not going to try to beat them because there's a market enough for everybody. And you don't have to overthink it. Just learn what you can learn from other uh, people and then apply it to your business and do it better. And that's, that's pretty much it, right? So, I mean, again, go back to the simplicity of thinking. Yeah. Okay, now we got the simplicity part down. I'm, I'm clear on the simplicity. <laughs> now there's another second question, which is the grit question. The other part of the formula yes. is grit. Seven businesses yeah. fail. And um, how do you get back up? How do you go, you know, I'm going to get on the eighth one. Or how do you even, you know, have that intensity to keep going over and over and over till you get it. Cause it is an intense business, uh, the restaurant business, but yeah. to see what you've done, uh, requires an extraordinary amount of energy and grit to stay the course that you've done. Yeah. Great question. Again, like you keep asking me these great questions that I kind of make me think a little bit about my life. So grit. I think a lot of people come to me and, and ask me this question too, but they, they put it in a different form. They ask, why are you so fearless, right? This doesn't seem like you fear anything. Like you just keep going and you keep doing new things. Like, aren't you scared of failure? And like, absolutely scared of failure. Mm. I, I feel fear very strongly, to be completely honest. Um, I'm not fearless at all. I'm scared every day. Every day I wake up, I'm scared that my business is gonna, not going to succeed. I'm scared that, you know, my staff is not going to get paid on time. I'm scared that my customers not happy enough. I'm really scared that by the time that I'm, you know, let's just say 50 or 60, and when I die, I don't leave behind a legacy. So I'm fearful of my own failure way more than most people think. I feel fear very strongly. Um, but because I, I'm so fearful of, of what, my kids are going to be doing the next day. Like I'm considering all of my staff, my kids, I, I have 600 of them now. We're probably going to hit a thousand kids at the end of the, the year or next year. Um, my failure will affect them directly. So I can't look myself in the mirror and quit. That's why I never quit. I'm like one, the kind of guy who, if you're going to put me on the trip, the treadmill with, with, you know, the best athlete in the world, um, you know, I'm probably going to lose. But if I lose, I'm pretty much either passed out or, or dead uh, before I even give up. Like, I'm just that kind of person, like, I just going to keep on going. I never quit. Um, I think that's one of the things, uh, because I'm very fearful of what I'm going to leave behind. Um, so my legacy is not just what I'm creating so far, but I think my legacy is my staff 
my my biggest assets. And so they drive me every day. Um, and one of the things that I really want to put out there too is um, the mental health of, you know, our generation is, is degrading, um, you know, late millennial, Gen Z. Um, because a lot of times you live for yourself. When you live for yourself, it's very easy for you to give up. So if you wake up every day and be like, okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to work so I can get money. I'm going to get my Gucci back or, or Christian Dior, whatever. The moment you hit a roadblock and you can't get your Christian Dior, you can't get your Gucci, you, you felt the, the crazy amount of guilt and, and failure. And, and that's why a lot of people nowadays do take their own life. And I, I fear that very strongly. And so I developed this habit of, but if you live for other people, you never give up. It's very hard for you to live up, uh, give up when you live for other people. So when I wake up every day, I have a picture of my, um, of my family, um, right, you know, right on my phone. But I also have um, a small picture of my, my bigger family in a closet right next to it. Um, and I look at them and like, I live for them. You know, they count on me. You know, my parents count on me. My siblings count on me. My wife and kid count on me. My almost a thousand staff count on me. I can't fail. So if I fail, I fail them. So that gives me the drive um, because I'm, I, I can look myself in the mirror and tell myself that, that you know, I fail, but it's very hard to look at them and say, I fail you. And so that fear, right, that fear of looking them in the eyes and tell them that as a CEO, I fail you, that drives me every day. So when you live for other people, it's, it's very hard for you to give up because you also have that, you know, that shame, right? You know, you don't want to take on that shame. And so I don't want to be shameful. Uh, looking at my staff and saying that I try nine to five percent, you know, not going to happen, you know. And that's why I'm the only employee in this company um, that works seven days a week, twenty four hours, twenty four seven. My phone's always on. If you ask any of my staff, they can call me three a.m. in the morning. I will respond within five minutes. I will never sleep. If anything happens, I will be the first one to be there. Incredible. You have siblings, right? I do have four. Four. And where are you in the birth order? Uh, I'm the first, and then I have two oh. next brothers and two next sister. Okay. That makes a lot of sense now. It's a lot resting on your shoulders. Now, where did you get the idea that your world can be taken away from you? When you were growing up, Like, where do you think that that took place it's it sounds traumatic almost that yeah something happened and you were just like okay well um i'm not going to be in this position I, it, it's not forever. for very long but not yeah. every, every not every because i i know that people in your situation are doing balloons in vietnam you know not to put down the club culture yeah. or anything like that but i know it you know yeah. it. i see it I'm, I'm part of it you know parents complain to me you know kids out doing balloons and partying how did you yeah. not get stuck in that well again it goes back into um i was all i was always been a strange kid growing up like i didn't fit in i was one of those loner like in school that i can't i don't have any friends i didn't have any friends i i you know so a lot of people are like why did you why can't you just not go party and have fun and you know um well, cause I ain't got no friends. <laughs> so like, I, you know, I was just a very strange kid. I didn't fit in. No one wanted to talk to me. I was just a strange, like, I, I always think about what can I do to change the world? Like that's like growing up, even at four or five years old, like I already thinking of like, why are so many people in the world? And what, why do I get all of this? And they don't. And, you know, like, but the conversation has never gone anywhere. If I talk to my peers. Like if I sit there, I was like, can you imagine another six-year-old talk to another six-year-old? Hey, you know what? What can we do to alleviate, you know, um, you know, gender equality and, and income equality? Like, okay. <laughs> At that time, I couldn't talk to anybody. And, and, and when I talked to adults, they didn't take me seriously. So I was just becoming more and more into my own world. And I just, well, I guess I'm just never going to go out. Um, and so it's not that I didn't want to go party. It's just no one invited me. So. <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, so I was just a strange kid growing up. And, um, uh, but I did find a burst of moments um, in the news here and there. And I would start reading newspaper very young. And I always hear story about, you know, this millionaire, this, that millionaire that always get attacked and, you know, taken away by the communist, uh, you know, government at that time. And there's just so many things that are going on. And I look around and I felt like, oh, my God, everything that I've been counting on might disappear just like that. How do I how do I safeguard this? Because my dream was so big, right? My dream was to change the world. And obviously all the kids think that way. Um, but at that time, my, my drive to, to do that was so strong that I felt there's zero chance I'm going to leave this to a 50-50 chance. That's why I never gamble. I'm not a gambling guy. If my chance of success is closer to 50%, I'm not doing it. So usually, you know, I, t- I take my decision very um, carefully. Yeah. I'll let that sink in. I, I'm trying to now give space to think about these things while we're having a conversation because you know sometimes we just rush into the next question or the next thought without really listening to each other but i'm 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 noticing that when i'm talking to you the pacing is changing yes because it's very deep (laughs) well you're not like thinking ahead of me and i'm not and i'm trying to just follow your pace and and it's a slow rocking back and forth that makes it forcing me to think about to think deeply and the first time this happened to me is with uh chef Winboy. um he's a private chef here in la to a lot of uh, okay. f- really famous people like elton john and, and and a lot of hollywood producers and he has the same sort of methodical way to think about production think about success think about even the way he enjoys music and life it's mm-hmm. very deliberate and it's changed the way I've interviewed. Uh, thank God I, I had him on the show very early on and I was speaking to you. Now it's making me even think more about yeah. doing it slower and, and more deliberate and having uh, intention behind other things that you do. Yeah. I think um, as an early age, I already been looking for that something from me, for me was the purpose of my being. You know, and that's that's one thing that I always questioning um, growing up, you know, given the fact that, yes, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be a singer, you can be a chef. It doesn't matter what you do. That's your career. That's just your job. Right. But what is the reason, the real reason of of your being? Like I, I, I lose sleep over that. Right. You know, I can do whatever I do in the morning. I come up at night. And I think about what is the real reason I'm here? You know, I, I, I'm here, I'm taking resources, that's for one. But how do I give back? What is, what is my, what is, what is the reason, you know? And so I have a, um, I can show you this, I have a picture of it at home. But, you know, I'm, I have a, um, a calendar to count to the day that I, I die. Um, so let's just say I mark it as 60, 60 years. And I count it backward. And right now, um, I'm technically running a little bit behind on like when I die. Um, like Steve Jobs said, right? If you work as if today is your last day, one day you certainly be be right. Um, and so, I'm I'm fearful of that. Like I'm I'm not scared of death um, per se. Um, I think I've accomplished enough that at this stage I felt, you know, when I die, I, I leave enough behind for my my parents, my siblings, my wife and kids. But I'm fearful of who's gonna take the next place and, and push this forward. And because, you know, we've done so much um, to get to this stage. So I'm, I'm, I'm more fearful of that than anything at all, the legacy. Um, so my legacy, that's why like, we're, we're not just doing a restaurant. I don't know if you know, but, um, so right now we're getting to entertainment. Um, we just got, I don't know if you know, Saigon Performing Arts Center. Um, so that's the only theater Vietnamese people have here in SoCal. 
um, that's the only that's the only place. That's the place where all of our Vietnamese people can come together and have that place and call it our own theater, our own center. And it's been leaving there to rot. No one's really using it. So we just took it over. Uh, we're going to revamp the theater. We're going to revamp the banquet. And we're going to host all sort of Vietnamese culture that's there. And I want Vietnamese people to have a space, you know. And if you ask me, what's my business plan on that? Like, I have no business plan. You know, I just want to do it because I think it's important. And so that's part of the legacy that we're building. Um, and so I'm, I'm fearful more of that. Um, so, yes, the reason of my being. That's always going to be the question I, I continue to ask every day. And, you know, time is running out. <laughs> The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I I come to these episodes with a set prep list and it guides me and uh, you throw in the Saigon Performing Arts Center and I'm like, I don't even know where to start right now because I have been in that uh, building space for a movie that I released uh, with uh, some partners in 2011, I believe. We did a premiere there for Saigon Electric, for Saigon Yo. Do you remember that hip hop? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back, like that's, like almost 10 years ago now. Yeah. 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 And uh, shout out to Stefan Gauger. He passed away uh, a few years ago, but uh, Mm. he was the director on that film. Anyway, we held the, um, we held the premiere there. And, you know, I thought about that over the years too. And I I, I rarely hear of it being used and it's sad to know. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. What are you, I know you said you had no plans, what can you envision being on the stage there? Oh, a lot. So my idea is this. We're going to bang out the whole entire front. It's a community center. It's for Vietnamese people in this area, for Little Saigon. Yeah. You need to open that up. You can't keep the door closed. I want it to be open every day, anytime. It's going to be a, a convention hall. Anybody can come in. Let's just say you're a kid growing up here in Little Saigon and you just happen to, you know what, uh, Mr. Uh, Viet, you know, like I have this, you know, art collection. I just drawing at home and I want to show to the world. I'm like, show me. If it's art, if it's liberal arts, I'll show it to the world. You need a platform. Go in here, show up your map. I'll cook the food. We have some music going on. We show your art. You are the next generation. You are the talent. You know, I need to have a space where I can nurture the next generations and talents and all that. And the community center is going to be completely opened up. Um, if it's a, a, for a good cause, we're, we're only going to just charge you just enough for us to clean up. But I want you to do it. I want the center to continuously running. I want movie premieres to happen there. I want to host banquets there. I need to bring Vietnamese people together. But that's for the biggest stream, right? So for me, Again, let's go back to that. Like, I think I'm here to connect people, um, either through food or through, you know, beverage or through music or through art. Um, and I'm a, a big art person, you know, like I'm always into art, you know. And I, I think the only way for us to heal from what happened in the past and to connect the next generations, the only way for us to heal is to put people together in one table. And when you have them over food, they tend to forget about it. And that's why I created Vox Kitchen. Vox in Latin means voice. And I felt that, you know, the Vietnamese people in America and also like my voice not being heard. Um, and so having people to hear my voice, what I want to say is most important. So I cooked the meal. The menu at Vox Kitchen is actually crafted because I asked my wife what she wants to eat. I ask my friends what they want to eat. I ask my partner what they want to eat. And I put on a menu. And when you go to Vox right now, you see three generations span. You see the kid, you see the mom and dad, and you see the grandma and grandpa sitting on the same table. And they share this world cuisine. And they talked over it and they're having fun and they're, they're celebrating parties and, and birthdays and, and anniversaries. And I see that. And I saw 
that's what I wanted to do. That's why I even created this thing, whole thing. And so now with food, I have been successfully doing so. I wanted to cross into music and, and movies and, and arts, you know, connect people. When you standing in front of a, an awesome show or an awesome painting that a Vietnamese person painted out, you can have multi-generations standing there and, and, and look at that in awe and like, this is what we're proud of. And that's what I want to do. I think that's, that's, I think I found my reason of, of being is, is to connect Vietnamese people all around the globe. Um, I can't do it in Vietnam, but you know, I'm here in the US, so I'll try to do it here as much as I could. Yeah, our, our missions uh, intersect. Our missions yeah. definitely intersect. I'm here to amplify. I'm yeah. here to showcase. I'm here to like, let everybody know the good, the bad, the ugly, see it all. And then so we can yeah. grow from the ugly, grow from the bad, and we can just be proud of the good. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do with F&B. I mean, F&B is just, just very taboo, you know, like people are, you know, really um, scared of sharing recipes and um, they underpay a lot of employees. And, you know, we're here to kind of bang all that up. And, you know, if one thing you work for us as an employee, all of our recipes are shared. I don't know if a lot of people know that, wow. but 100% of our recipes is on the wall. You can take a picture of it. Um, and there's a few names I cannot mention, but a few of our employees that work at Voft and Soup and all that already went out and ventured out and opened a restaurant with almost exactly the same menu. And people would come up to me like, dude, that's crazy. That's, they're just taking all of it and go and open another restaurant. Like, aren't you scared? And aren't you like, why don't you protect your recipe? Like, why do you protect art? Wow. Arts are meant to be shared. So let's just say if they take my recipe and they go out there into a different city and they open another restaurant, guess what they're doing? First of all, they make Vietnamese people proud. They're providing food, put food on the table for 10, 20, 30 of their staff. You're helping indirectly, you're helping hundreds of people. And, and they're successful. They take care of their own family. Now, Vietnamese community getting bigger and stronger. And guess what? Little Saigon getting bigger and stronger. The economy, the internet of our micro economy is getting bigger and stronger as, as Little Saigon. Yes, I understand that they are my competitor and they learned from me and they took all of that. But that's okay. If you, if you can't even compete with whoever they're copying you, you should rethink your life, man. Like you should go back to the drawing board, you know? And so I think it's very healthy because now who benefit from it? The customer, the customer now get more options. They get better value. Um, now we're scared. I mean, obviously they're competing with us. So we have to get even better service, better food, right? Or even, you know, better pricing. And we all grow. It never stopped. Like we all grow. And so let's just say, that's why I strongly believe <clears throat> there's hubs of everything, right? Why do we have Silicon Valley? You don't go there because you're scared of people stealing ideas from you. Everybody's going to steal ideas from you and they're going to open more, more, um, more uh, tech startups. But guess what? Because of that, that becomes a, a hub. And so all of the talent's coming over, right? Yeah. And so the economy goes up. So essentially, whatever you invested in, your asset goes up. <clears throat> Your kids, your wife, your family will live in a much better place. <clears throat> Little Saigon will get much better if there's more people compete with key concepts. They can take our whole entire recipe and they'll open a new restaurant. That's fine. That's okay. I mean, they're improving your livelihood. They're improving your kid's future. Like, what are you complaining about? We should be competing. And that's fair. I mean, if they want to copy it 100%, that's okay. But they have to remember that we continue to evolve. So essentially, they just copy our version 1.0. We already at 2.0, 3.0. So you shouldn't be focusing on what people are doing to you at that point. You should be focusing on how you improve yourself every day and improve yourself up so that the whole entire community improves. And at that time, it becomes a hub. Little Saigon will be one of those beautiful places where people are going to look at it like, oh my God, there's so many restaurants popping up. There's so many beautiful things happening. Let's go there. Let's move our family. Guess what? When they move here, houses go up. So whatever that you bought, just go up. So what are you complaining about? I think it's a game, game, game. It's a win, win, win for everybody. Um, 
so yeah that's why like i'm if anybody come up to me and ask me like can you share everything that you've done so that i can do exactly the same so i can compete with you I'm like sure go kick my ass i'm sorry i don't know if i should say that but yes go like just do improve yourself and you know let's go on a a, a competition together and that's why boeing and airbus is always on each other's ass right wow this is amazing and improve the whole community yeah, it's amazing insight you know there's books written on it <clears throat> you know there's givers and takers and you know there's books whole books written on on this yeah. subject and culturally speaking whether we like it to admit it or not the Vietnamese culture is not focused as much on giving and giving in a way where it's a some you know the, the we we think of it as a um a sum zero game right? like you know if you give three here you only have 97 left right you give 50 you only have 50 left you're you're coming from a very different perspective which is exactly abundance mentality abundance and if you give out let's just say i give out 95 percent, i keep only five percent I keep 5% of the whole total micro economies of a hundred billions rather than I keep a hundred percent of the economy of just 10 million. Yeah. We all gain from it. You know, I'm going to ask a funny question. Um, what do you think your four siblings think of you? I, <laughs> I don't know. But what? I don't talk to them much. Uh, We're not very close. We're not very close. We're not very close. So, um, again, like I, I, I keep saying, like, you know, growing up, I've always been this strange kid. Yeah. And I can't get along with anybody. And I can't even get along with my siblings and my cousins. Um, the things happened to me in the past, too, you know, things that I don't want to kind of mention or think back. But it just kind of formed me to who I am today. And so I, I'm usually a loner. Um, if I go eat, you know, if it's not my wife, then I usually go eat alone. Um, I like to think of life in a sense that I don't want to be bothered. So I keep my mind clear all the time. It doesn't mean that I don't like to hang out with people and stuff like that. I just felt I don't know how to react to people. I don't react to emotions really well. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I have Asperger. I don't know. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just... I just don't talk to anybody about a lot of things except yeah. for, you know, my partners. And, and I, I felt maybe they respect me. Maybe they don't want to talk to me because every time that they ask. So just like a prime example, the, the other day, my sister kind of come and, you know, oh, you know, like I have to go to, you know, work and, and school. And right now I have to pick school because work is like there's a lot of things that kind of happen. And my answer to her was, I don't think so. I mean, it's possible. If other people can do it. You can do it. And so that kind of like put the conversation there in a very awkward stage where she's like, I just told you that I have a hard time going to school and work at the same time. And then you're telling me that there's other people out there doing it. I'm like, but I'm telling you the truth. There's people out there that they don't have anyone to kind of lean on. So they have to both go to work and go to school at the same time. And they still did it. So are you telling me you lazy? <laughs> so that conversation going nowhere. Yeah, and and Viet, that's so. I thank you so much for being honest because I'm, very I'm doing the, the the math in my head. I'm like, man, if I was one of these four kids, and my older brother was this guy, man, there's a lot of expectations. You know, there would be a lot. I don't even know how it would be connecting with him because, and I'll tell you why I did the math. Here's my math. I know a lot of food people. I'm in that world, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's rare to see a seven day a week guy build out this empire, right? It's an empire. Yeah. I don't care how anybody looks at it. I know how much you grind to get to that. And I know how yeah. hard you have to grind. It's superhuman strength. And to be one of those four kids behind that guy, right? That's what they call it. Head yeah. of the ship. That guy's breaking icebergs, right? I, I'm like, uh, how could the, f it would be different if you were the youngest kid and the other guys were like doctors and like, you know, yeah, yeah. right. But this is different. This is the one ice breaking ship head is breaking through all the, the ice. And then all the guys in the back are like, shit, we can't compete. There's nothing we can do. To <laughs> him. 
So that's why I asked you, and you were very honest with me and, and the answer, you know, your story about your sister, you know, mm. um, it, it, it paints a, a crazy picture. And I wonder what your parents must think with, because as parents, we want our kids to work hard, but I have a feeling your parents are like, slow the fuck down a little bit. <laughs> that, that is true. Well, well, I tell, I always tell them this uh, to all of my siblings. Whatever that my dad invests into the company or me or whatever I'm doing, regardless of what I'm making, I will never take my fair share of 20%. We have five kids. So let's just say my dad have this whole thing. And yes, I help them with, you know, building this empire and everything. And that's his money and some part of it. Um, if at the end of the day, you know, when he passes away and there's $10 million net worth there, I will only take my two, you know, and that's, that's my fair game to all of my siblings. I'm like, I can be harsh as I can. I, you, I, you, I never give them money ever in my whole entire life. I don't believe in giving money. If they want something, they can work for it. So if they want something from, 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 from me or need my help, they can go work at a, a company. I'll, I'll pay them a fair share. Um, but I would never just hear, here's your allowance. I don't believe in allowance. Yeah. I never got an allowance as a kid. Um, and so like, I don't believe in allowance. I, I think they need to work for what they deserve. Um, and so I told them that at the very beginning, but I, I draw a very clear line as well. But if it belongs to the parents and when the parents split, um, I would never take more than uh, my fair share. Um, does that make sense? So yeah. can I give them that? I know that they at least feel secure, right? And I want them to feel secure. Um, but, you know, I don't know that. We treat each other a very fair game. Uh, actually, one of my sisters working for me, um, she's an accountant in an office. And I pay her exactly the same as I pay the people. Um, but I don't work with her on a daily basis yeah. at all. But I understand what you're coming from. Obviously, for them, they feel a lot of pressure um, <laughs> talking to me and, and all that. And that's maybe why they never really talked to me. But I, I told them this. If you come to me for emotional support, I might not be able to give it because I'm not that person. I, I can't butter up things. I, I don't know how to even socialize. Like I'm a very awkward person. I, I, if you saw me outside, you shake my head. Like my eyes would not be able to look at you for so long. Like I'm, I'm very jitterous. I'm, I'm very nervous when I talk to people. Like connect emotional, uh, emotionally. Um, but if you come to me, I have this thing. I need, to, like I can break it down to you yeah. to the to the signs of it, and I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you the truth hundred percent. And a lot of people too, they come to me and they're like, oh my God, you're just amazing chef. Like, how did you come to be like doing this amazing things? And like, do you want to hear a version that, you know, the PR team is trying to write for me or you want to hear my real story? And they're like, oh, of course the real story. Well, because I suck at everything else. I try a lot of things. Oh, I close really? a lot of versions. Yeah. I opened seven businesses. I try sales. I try IT. I try furniture. I even do waste management for Everything I do, I suck at it. So this is just the next thing I try that I didn't suck at. So I just stuck there, right? It's not like I have this grand vision of, yes, I want to be your chef. Like, no, it's just, I just keep trying. And I landed on this thing was like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. Might as well just do it. So why this? Well, because I suck at everything else. Like I try a lot of things. Like I was a bad student. I was not a good student at all. <laughs> and so, yeah, people ask me if I have like a grand plan or like a, you know, a, a, a grand vision of the future. It's like, I don't. I just know that I just have to be better in myself than yesterday and just keep on going. And I keep trying. If I suck at something, I, I move on and I try something I'm good at. Makes sense. Makes very sense. simple. Yeah, yeah. very simple. You sound like a simple person with a with an extraordinary amount of of drive and grit. Uh, yeah, I go to the alley quite a bit. I did um, yeah. until it got to my uh, my my health. 
<laughs> the purple yogurt is what really got the purple. Yeah, uh, the yogurt purple the, the, rice yeah. is oh, what right. really, really put me uh, my blood sugar over the the the, the limit. The oh god, what a genius drink! Um, is is that something you guys had developed, or did that come from some corporate? Uh, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, so the Alley is another brand that we actually took from uh, Taiwan to bring it over. So we just a master franchise. Uh, we don't do too much the Alley anymore. Uh, most of the recipe come from them. We actually dictate about half of our recipe. So whatever they give me is the base of what they think it might work, and then come to us, and then we have to uh, tweak it and adjust it to the U.S. Oh, okay. taste. And and yeah, so that drink actually we adjusted quite a bit to fit to the U.S. taste. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, I have a question. Uh, why do you? Why did you pick the alley? Why would you pick something like that? And not, I mean, there's a thousand, there's a thousand boba brands, there's a thousand drink brands, but why specifically the alley? And it, because I didn't know that that was part of your portfolio um, yeah. when I was consuming it for a long time. And then when I looked at your portfolio, and I was yeah. like, oh my god, they're, they're like, oh, and then I'm like, what? The, why would somebody? Why would why? somebody buy specifically this one? And I want to hear, I'm using this as a case study, as an example, to hear why you picked this one in particular. Because I happen to, you know, I use it, I like it, I loved it, and I just wanted to hear what the thought process of that particular yes. brand. So for me, it's all about quality and customer service for me. I think we always have customer service here. Um, when I went back to Vietnam for the first time uh, in a very long time, um, I never wanted to do boba. It's not my thing. I, I never think that, oh, I'm going to open a boba shop. But because I felt like boba is just, it's just boba. Like it's nothing too crazy, nothing too special. Um, until uh, my um, brother-in-law actually brought me a cup of the alley and left it in the fridge for a really long time, like half an hour. And they say, oh, I bought you some boba. I live in the fridge. I'm like, why do you leave boba in the fridge? This guy's crazy. It's going to get hard, right? So I took it out. I'm like, I'm going to drink it. I poke the straw down and the boba is warm. I'm like, this is genius. Who thought of this? And then I, I started looking. I got more serious about, dude, this is so good. And then, so I went out to the market. At that time, I was just trying over 20 different boba brands. And none of it as good as the alley. So for me, I'm like, this is good. I, the U.S. need this. I've never had this in the U.S. And so that's why I've been contacting and there's another brand that I also liked. And if you ask why I picked this brand, well, because they answer my call. <laughs> <laughs> I tried two, three other brands and they didn't want to do it and they didn't want to answer my call. And this one guy is like, hey, we're, we want to do a business with you. I'm like, cool, I guess. <laughs> um, but there's two other brands that have warm boba as well. And, um, you know, I think the alley, but actually to be completely honest with you, at that time, I was still hoping for the alley because I really like the logo because all of our logo is black and white. I really like black and white logos and their logos are black and white and they're very modern and the stores are nice. And so I, I really wanted that. Um, and luckily they, they answered my call. The other two did answer the call, but they say that they, they're not extending to the U.S. just yet. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do it with the alley. And that's that. And then that, it's that simple. And we brought it over and we opened it and people loved it. And like, okay, well, I guess this is going to be the brand. Uh, but for me, like I never go out of my way to think Boa, but at that time I really needed to do that too, because of the pandemic. Um, it helped us maintain our staff. I've never asked this question, but I don't know why I'm, I'm um, I am being drawn to ask this question to somebody like you. Yeah. When your grandkids go to visit, your tomb one day mm. you're going to be in the u.s or in vietnam mm. u.s or in vietnam yeah when they go visit your tomb is it going to be in the u.s <laughs> or vietnam oh my god this is funny right because i think of this a lot i told you i kept the death the death day on, on top of my bed that's what inspired my um, question i think yes i think i actually do have a will too already and my will is very simple. If at that time, my net worth allow me to take care of everything else, please save me a seat uh, on SpaceX. And I want to shoot my corpse out into the 
the universe. Um, Mars, outer space, somewhere. Um, so no tomb. Um, if I don't have that's in your will right now, right now, if I can clear about, I believe the ticket to shoot myself out of space is about $400,000 right now at the moment. I think it's probably going to drop out to maybe $200,000 by the time that I die, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. So I'm going to cremate because obviously that's sanitary. I'm going to cremate myself, put it into a jar. Um, my family can write anything they want under the jar if they want. And I want to shoot myself out of space because that's the act of giving back. Um, if you really think about it, what made up of you? Iron, nickel, water, carbon, all of that, right? Um, we can think of, we are a part of the universe because in the universe, you all got all of these periodic table, right? You, inside of you inside your body is part of the 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 the, the, the universe what makes up the universe is, is what made up of you if you think if you think now you you're a part of the universe the universe technically created you but if you think on a grander scheme the universe is within you like how amazing is that yeah. like really think about it the universe is you. inside of you right now. It was just like, just a fun and noble cause if you just create yourself and shoot yourself out of space. I think it's just a, a, a cool idea. Um, and if I don't have enough money to do that, um, um, I did write in my will, there's a company, I forgot the name of it now, but it's like a pot. So essentially you put your corpse into that pot um, and it's you being wrapped around this kind of vegetation and you would pick a, a, a piece of land in, you know, um, a forest. I'm probably going to pick somewhere in California here. Um, and, and you can put yourself down there and all of the worms and everything is going to eat you up uh, and, and, and sprout out a bunch of different trees and stuff like that. There's also another way um, give to get back to you. But before that, though, I'm going to, uh, before I cream it myself or before... If any part of my body can still be used for science or um, um, or give it to you know whoever that I'm actually a, a do, uh, organ donor, so um, just get back uh, as much as I could, save as many lives as I could, and just shoot me out of space. You know that was the weirdest question I've ever that's ever popped into my brain and that I've actually ever asked anybody. I don't know why I was compelled to do it. And I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so glad that I asked you that. And it wasn't like something that you're like, well, that's not, I haven't thought of it. And I, you know, and you had to make something up. I, this is literally something you thought about. And it's almost no, this like, is, this is in my will. I already wrote it. I already told my kids, like, I'm a, first of all, organ donor. So if anything happened to me, donate all of my organ first. Um, the rest of it, cremate uh, and shoot me out of space. Um, or whenever I have the money, shoot me out of space. If not, then, you know, put it in a pot, put it in a forest somewhere. So it's just yeah, it, trees and plants can sprout out of it. It's almost like that question where like, um, I was thinking about your four siblings, you know, I was like, I wonder what they think, you know? And then I was just like, I wonder what your grandkids would think or your, your children would think about like, you know, and then I just started thinking about like, where you would want to be buried because i just can't <laughs> you want it would be cool if they ask that questions and like oh he's on his way to uranus or like another um go galaxy outside and like oh he's on his way to yeah so like he's on his way to 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 that galaxy I'm like wait what cool. like yes he, we already shot him out of space <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool Viet, uh i really appreciate you setting up the time uh, to speak with me. Uh, you have a brilliant mind. You have a brilliant vision. Um, and uh, I look forward to all the things that you're going to put out there for the community and the world to uh, consume. I, I really do look forward to it. Yeah. I've eaten at um, the place mm -hmm. that you've uh, established and uh, it's a great, great experience. And um, I appreciate what you do. Yeah, like in fact, we're opening E9 today. That's so my first Italian concept. 
And uh, yeah, a lot of people ask me the same thing, you know, like, why Italian concept? Like, well, because I've never learned how to know how to cook Italian food. I don't know how to do pizza. So the best way for me to learn, just open one. That's why we opened this. And I le I'm learning how to do pizza from scratch. I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I could fail. Like I, this, this, this project can, can definitely flop, but that's a part of learning. I think, yeah. you know, and that's, that's how I am. And I'm going to continue to grind. and I'm never going to let this fail. Thanks again. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.